Well, we welcome you this morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Uh, this is one of the most familiar verses, one of the most familiar passages in all the Bible and really in all of human literature. It is the story of David and Bathsheba. I think when we think of David, we often think of two things, David and Goliath and David and Bathsheba. You know, in the first story, David whipped a giant. In the second story, a giant whipped David. Uh, in the first story, David trusts God. In the second story, David despises God. It's hard to imagine uh, that both of those accounts, that both of those stories can refer to the very same person, a man with one heart. It seems that David in some sense uh, was a man of extremes. Uh, when he looked across the valley and he saw the giant of a man, Goliath, fear gripped his heart but he was able to say that my trust in God and in God's protection and God's provision, my trust in God gives me victory over the fear in my heart. But then a few years later, he looked across the skyline of Jerusalem and he sees the beautiful woman Bathsheba. This time his heart is gripped with lust, but he was unable to say, that my trust in God, my trust in God's provision and kindness and goodness is sufficient uh, to help me have victory over the thought of my heart. Uh, David, it seems, had multiple personalities. And if we're honest, and let's be honest this morning, the same could probably be said of me and you. When I think about my own Christian life, I'll tell you, I love the Lord. I love the Lord with all of my heart, soul, and mind. I have enough faith and confidence in God to deny myself, to stand against adversaries, to have confidence from God through every storm and to be more than a conqueror. But also, I have frailty and weakness and gullibility that causes me sometimes to fall for Satan's lies about the dangers of sin and to make some really short-sighted and selfish decisions, uh, to be deceived about, about the likely consequences of my actions, and sometimes just to plainly forget the Lord and the price he paid for my salvation. So the story of, of David and Bathsheba, uh, it's, um, it's a reminder for every Christian that we can fall guilty of the darkest sins. We can all be hypocrites. And we can all fall in spectacular ways. So now that we've come to this story, we're working through First and Second Samuel, I want to pause and, if the Lord allows, spend three weeks here. I want to talk today about how David uh, found himself guilty of this sin. I, I want to talk about what came next. I want you to see that one kind of sin, category of sin, turned into another category of sin, and we likely will focus on that next week. And then I want you to see how David recovered from this. And uh, 
We'll focus on that in, in three weeks. Now, we're going to address David's sexual sin. But here's the danger with this. Uh, oftentimes when people hear that a pastor is preaching on David and Bathsheba, uh, they assume that this is just a message about sexual sin. And some people think that they could never be guilty of sexual sin, which is not a correct view. But oftentimes we just dismiss a sermon on David and Bathsheba because we think that doesn't apply to me. But while we'll talk about David's specific sin, certainly, what we're going to learn today is just something about the nature of sin. And this is important uh, for everybody. So let's just begin to read. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We'll read beginning in verse 1. It's 982 B.C. David is the king of Israel. He is about 50 years old, give or take. Verse 1 says, In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So it says that in the springtime, most often kings would go out to war. You might wonder why the springtime? Well, because nobody enjoys fighting in the winter, right? It's just that simple. And then often in the springtime, it's easier to forage for food than it would be in the winter. And so now it's spring, the armies of Israel off to war, ordinarily, King David would go. He had gone in the past, and it was customary that kings would go. But David decided to stay behind. And that's going to be important for the rest of the story. Look at verse 2. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. Uh, from the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. Now, the city of David... Uh, which is what it came to be called, the Old Jerusalem. Uh, it's not exactly where Jerusalem is today. It's just sort of across the street from it. Uh, it's built on the side of a hill. And uh, the elevation from the top of the old city, where the, where the palace would have been, where David would have lived, uh, to the rest of the city, it just went downhill. And so if you stood on the top of David's house, you would have been able to see the top of every other house uh, in, the old, in the old city. Uh, so that's what happens. David is up there. He peers out. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. Now, I think it's important to point something out here because I think oftentimes preachers get this wrong. Uh, the Bible doesn't say that Bathsheba was nude. Now, when we think about bathing, uh, probably you don't bathe with your clothes on. But, and if you do, don't tell me, I don't want to know. But, but we, we take our modern understanding of bathing and we just imagine that's what it was like in those days. And, and that's just not the case with bathing or a thousand other things. Uh, oftentimes, women would bathe clothed. Uh, and even in their home, because of just this a sense of modesty that they had. And, and even if it was just a woman and her husband, she's uh, very likely uh, to bathe clothed. And, and so we don't need to look at this story and come away thinking that somehow Bathsheba was trying to uh, 
get David's uh, attention somehow to entice him or seduce him. There's no evidence of that at all. Uh, now, David's there. He sees this beautiful woman, clothed or unclothed. We, we, we don't know. I, I just think the, past, uh, the, the scripture would say if she were unclothed. If you just look at how the Bible describes every other sin in the Old Testament, it just usually gives us the, the prurient details. And, and uh, here, I, I just choose to believe that Bathsheba was not unclothed, but he could see her and she was beautiful. And at this point, perhaps David still could have avoided sin. He could have looked away, he could have gone back in his home, but he didn't. He lingered and he lusted. And you see that in the next verse. It says, so David sent someone to inquire about her. And he said, isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So you see a little bit of a progression here. So David saw her and then David apparently lingered in his view of her. He thought about it. He considered it. He lusted. And then he inquired uh, about her identity. Verse four says, David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to him, he slept with her. Uh, now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. And afterwards she returned home. Now there's no indication here at all that there was any intentional sin on Bathsheba's part. Uh, certainly, uh, when men and women come together in a consensual, illicit relationship, uh, both the man and the woman uh, bear the guilt of that. Uh, but it's hard to imagine uh, in this situation that a young woman would have had any opportunity to say no uh, to the 50-year-old king of Israel. And I think that's important to note because anytime a powerful person takes advantage of a weaker or a vulnerable person, that is always a particularly heinous sin. And I think this sin falls into that category. Now, why does it say that she was purifying herself from her uncleanness? Well, that actually is important. Uh, just before uh, this uh, union between Bathsheba and David, she had been purifying herself. That means that she had just menstruated. Now, why do we care? Well, that tells us that the pregnancy that would result from this had to have been as a result of her union with David, not uh, her husband uh, from some uh, previous time. And then look at verse five. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David I am pregnant. Know your sin will find you out, right? Uh, the consequences of sin may, may not be immediately known, right? David didn't know immediately. There were consequences. Took a little while before he knew of them. But when he did, it crushed, it crashed David's life. Uh, it would have been a pretty hard blow when he got the news that Bathsheba was pregnant. Uh, he knew of the family connections. He knew that her husband was away. He knew, he knew that this was going to be a problem. Uh, David, though, had no idea of how big a problem this would be. And we're going to see that even over the next several weeks, how this one sin set into motion a bunch of other sins, a bunch of other sins by David. He's going to commit many more sins that are the direct result of this sin. And then his children are going to commit the same sins uh, in 
living their life after the pattern that their father had set. Now, there's way more to this story for us to study, and we'll get there uh, over the next few weeks. But I want to stop here and just look at this crash that... Uh, that David has experienced, and I want us to perform a little bit of uh, crash investigation, and I want us to see if we can figure out how this man, known as a man after God's own heart, this man who at this point had already written much of the Psalms, the book of Psalms, this man who had defeated Goliath, this man who had forgiven Saul when that seemed to be the most unlikely course of action, how could this man do what this man did? And I think there are three things that contributed to this. Number one, a lack of discipline increased David's vulnerability. Uh, Now let's take sin and put it into some categories. Ordinarily when we think of sin, uh, we think of uh, sins of commission and sins of omission. Have you heard that? And so some sins are sins uh, because you did something you shouldn't have done. That's a sin of commission. Sometimes we sin because we failed to do something we should have done. That would be a sin of omission. So you've got that category. And that's helpful in a lot of ways. But let me, let me classify sins differently. Let me slice this pie a little differently. Let's say that some sins are premeditated sins. They're sins that you planned. They're intentional sins. They're deliberate sins. And then some sins are impulsive sins. They're spontaneous. They're careless. They're haphazard. So a premeditated sin is that tomorrow you plan to do something you know is the wrong thing to do. It's preplanned. It's premeditated. But then some sins you don't plan But you end up in a situation and a temptation comes your way and it's an unexpected temptation and you find yourself doing something that you didn't plan to do, but you did and it's wrong. There are premeditated sins and then there are impulsive sins. Now, I'm not saying one's bad and one's not bad. That's not the purpose of the the categories. But I want you to see that those two categories really have their own dangers, each category, and their own challenges. So so let's talk about it. If you have premeditated sin, you plan on sin, then that's really a lordship issue. Uh, Who is the Lord of your life? Uh, That's an issue about honoring the holiness of God. And we're gonna talk about that kind of sin next week. But when we have impulsive, careless, haphazard sins, that's the product That's because we have a lack of discipline, a lack of discipline. Now, let me explain this. I think this is so important because David's sin falls into that second category. He didn't plan this. It it wasn't a a one-week project that he was working on trying to find a beautiful woman in order to have illicit uh, relations with. No, this was an impulsive sin. And it happened specifically uh, because uh, David just didn't have any discipline in several areas of his life. Uh, He didn't plan on this. There's no evidence that it was a preconceived plan, no pun intended, uh, for him to commit adultery. Uh, He saw Bathsheba unexpectedly. He was attracted to her. One thing led to another. So how did he do that? Well, there were four areas of his life 
where he was very undisciplined. And, and, and I'm going to give you all four. We're going to talk about two, but I'll give you four. These are important because if we are undisciplined in these areas, then we are vulnerable. We are susceptible to sin in ways that may surprise us. So number one, he was undisciplined with his time and with his energy. Uh, David should have been busy commanding the armies of the Lord and fighting against the adversary. But we saw in verse one, it says, in the spring, the kings go out to war. And it says, David remained in Jerusalem. So David wasn't doing what he should have been doing. Now, it wasn't technically a sin for David to stay in Jerusalem. There's no Bible verse that says the kings must go out for war in the spring. So we can't say that what he did was a sin, but we can say that it was a very undisciplined use of his time. So here he is with nothing to do in the palace, idle hands, idle mind, and that lack of discipline made him vulnerable to this, uh, to this great sin. Uh, David the warrior has become David the vacationer, and now he's, now he's guilty of sin. You know, the best way to resist these kind of impulsive temptations in life is to stay busy. Stay busy serving your family. Stay busy serving the Lord through the church. Stay busy serving your neighbor. I was reading one Puritan uh, preacher this week. He said, when we are out of the way of our duty, we are in the way of temptation. And David discovered that that was true. And you and I, we know that that is true. Years ago, I pastored a church in Anniston, Alabama, and we had a number of men who worked in a large processing plant. Uh, men in our church, but a lot of men in our community worked at this processing plant. And the plant owners or administrators decided to allow the men to vote on a new work schedule. And so the opportunity was to work what they called seven and seven. So they would work seven days and then they would be off seven days. And so the men got to vote and it passed overwhelmingly. They were so excited to work seven and seven. Now they worked really hard the seven days on, I think it was seven twelves or something. Uh, they, uh, they worked really hard on that. Uh, but then they had 26 weeks of vacation every single year. And so these men were so excited to work seven and seven. But I tell you what happened a um, few months into this, for many of these men, their lives just began to fall apart. They had problems with alcohol. They had problems with drugs. They had problems with pornography. They had problems with anger. They had, pro they had all kinds of problems. It destroyed so many marriages. It, it wrecked our community in many ways. Now, why was that? Well, those men, while it was not a sin to work seven and seven, and I know we have a lot of firemen in the church, and you work something like that. I don't know if it's seven and seven or three and three, but it's something like that. I know we have nurses here that work a similar schedule. It, it's not a sin for those men to work seven and seven, but those men couldn't handle seven days off 26 times a year without going up on the rooftop and looking for a Bathsheba. Do you understand? So if we're not disciplined with our time, 
then we will become more vulnerable to these impulsive sins. You know, the New Testament talks about this. Uh, the New Testament talks about in 2 Timothy chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, about women who uh, were not disciplined with their time. And it led them to sin, and it led many of them to turn away from the Lord. And the Bible clearly says it was because they were not disciplined with their time and their energy. And so if we're not careful with our time and energy, while uh, taking a day off is not a sin, that leisure time can increase our vulnerability uh, to so many, so many sins and so many temptations. David was undisciplined with his time and his energy. And that led to great vulnerability and it led to grave sin. Now the second area that he was undisciplined, he was undisciplined with his, with his focus, with his focus. And I, I don't want to distract you, but I'm afraid that's, I'm going to set that right there. So he was undisciplined with his focus. Now I want you to look again in verses two and three. It says, one evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her. So David's on the roof. He looks down, sees a beautiful woman, uh, does not just look at her. He apparently watches her. Uh, he contemplates uh, her and... Uh, some interaction with her, and then that leads him to inquire about her, and then he's hooked, then he's hooked. But what I want you to see is that all of this started with David being undisciplined with his focus, with his focus. David wasn't careful with what he looked at and what he continued to look at, and that resulted in this terrible sin in his life, undisciplined with his focus. I, I thought about David and some things that he wrote in the Psalms uh, when I read this. I, I want to read these to you or tell you about them. Psalm 55, 17, David said that there was a period in his life when he prayed and worshiped morning, noon, and night. Now that's discipline, right? And while I can't be certain, I would just about guarantee you that the Bathsheba day was not the day he was praying morning, noon, and night. If you look to Psalm 1-2, David said there was a period in his life when he meditated and studied on God's word morning and evening. Now, I can't be certain, but I would just about guarantee you that the Bathsheba day was not one of the days that he meditated and studied on God's word morning and evening. You see, when we're disciplined with our focus, then we are not as susceptible to these impulsive sins. But when we have an undisciplined focus, that's when, that's when we're more likely to fall. Uh, I read one author this week that said, David was seduced on that day by Bathsheba's beauty because on that day he was not captivated by God's beauty, right? It was that he had this undisciplined focus and it pulled him in. Now, I can't imagine 
that any of you can go to your rooftop and uh, peer out and see your neighbors bathing. At least I hope you can't. Um, but you can look on illicit images and read stories on the internet. You can look on inappropriate television shows and streaming movies. You can look on social media until you're miserable and depressed that your daily life does not measure up to somebody else's exaggerated Instagram highlights. You see, if we're not disciplined with our focus, it'll lead to impulsive sins. Uh, listen to how Jesus said it. Matthew 6, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. What he says is if you look on godly things, you're going to be godly. If you look on ungodly things, you're going to be ungodly. Here's what Job said. I have made a covenant with my eyes. What's he talking about? He said, me and my eyes, we made an agreement. We signed. We've got a contract. Eyes, you don't look at sinful things so that I won't be sinful. That's our covenant. Uh, listen to how Paul said it, the Apostle Paul, Philippians uh, 4.8. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is uh, pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything with moral excellence, and if there's anything praiseworthy, dwell on those things. You see, the Bible is in agreement from beginning to end. If we are undisciplined with our focus, then we will be vulnerable to great, great sin. And I am, if that's in your way there. All right, the next one, undisciplined with influence. We really already spoke of that. And then undisciplined with his confidence. And we're going to talk about that next week. Let me go to number two, cascading failures. This is the second reason that David fell. Cascading failures led to unintended consequences. Uh, I don't know very much about airplanes. I've uh, never flown an airplane, I'm not an expert on aviation, uh, but I've picked up a few things, you know, watching television like everybody else. And here's what I've learned or what I think I've learned. Uh, when a modern commercial airliner crashes, it's never just because of, of one problem. These modern airliners have so many redundancies that just about any single problem can happen and those pilots can still land that plane safely. So why do sometimes airplanes crash? Well, when planes crash, it's usually because of cascading failures. One system fails and then another system fails and then the, uh, the combined consequence of both of those systems failing, cause another system to fail, and then that leads to another system, which leads to another system, and this whole cascading system of failures can bring the plane down. That's how, that's how planes crash when they crash. Uh, generally, uh, when you see a catastrophic failure in a person's life, listen church, like 2 Samuel 11, like David and Bathsheba, 
whether the failure is adultery or emotional blow up and anger or somebody abandoning the faith or hooked on some substance, you may only see the catastrophic failure. But behind almost every catastrophic failure is a series of smaller, less spectacular cascading failures. And that's almost always the case. Now, let's talk about David. How did this sin unfold? Uh, So, I think the key verse to understanding 2 Samuel 11, this may surprise you, is actually 2 Samuel 5.13. Let me read this verse. It's a few chapters to the left in your Bible. We've got it on the screen. Listen to this verse. It says, after he arrived from Hebron, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Do you see the key word there? More. So David, in this verse, doesn't just take concubines and wives, concubines plural, wives plural. He takes more concubines and more wives, which means that he's already taken some concubines and wives, and now he's taking more. And then we go to 2 Samuel 11, David and Bathsheba, and we see this sin. And when we look at the sin in 2 Samuel 11, we see these steps to the sin. He looked, he continued to look, he lusted, he inquired, he, we, we see like six steps. But listen, church, those aren't steps one through six. Those are like steps 98 through 104. That's what I want you to see. We look at 2 Samuel uh, 11 and and, and we think, well, here's where it started. Here's where it started. Here's where it started. No, when we go to 2 Samuel 11, we're looking at the end of the story, not the beginning of the story. The reason why he fell in 2 Samuel 11 is not because of the six sins of that chapter. It's because of the hundred sins that led up to that chapter. It was the consequence of all of those little sins, and maybe they weren't so little, but it was the consequence of all of those sins that led, (laughs) that led uh, David, David to fall. Now, let's talk about the water. Notice first, uh, as I move the water across the pulpit, that there were no consequences for the first few pushes, right? It just moved a little bit. You wondered why, but there were no consequences. I hope I didn't mess up your, uh, you can expense it to the church. Uh, Next year, next year. So the first few pushes, there were no consequences, no apparent consequences. And oftentimes, the first few sins, as we're going down this road, there seem to be no consequences. You notice secondly about the water that I never really pushed it very far at once. It was just little pushes. I don't even think I ever pushed it an inch. I just pushed it a little bit at a time. And that seems like that would have little or no consequence. And see, in our lives, sometimes we look at our sins and we think, well, I'm not guilty of any big sins. They're just little sins. 
The third thing I notice about the water is that the crash was the inevitable result of continued pushes. Now, some of you knew what was going to happen, right? You weren't paying attention to what I was saying. You're just watching the water. <laughs> and you were thinking, if he keeps pushing it, it is going to fall. Well, yeah, we continue to sin like David continued to sin. Eventually, it's inevitable. We're going to fall. The last thing I want you to notice about the water is that we all could see where the edge was, right? You could anticipate when it was going to fall. But in life, you never know where the edge is. You never know how close you are. And you never know how far you're going to fall. When we have cascading failures in our lives, it'll always end in a catastrophic failure. And that was true in David's life. Let me share with you the third thing very quickly. David despised the Lord. It's interesting that sometime after David had committed these sins, um, God sent a prophet to him by the name of Nathan. And Nathan brought a message to him that, that we'll look at uh, in a week or two. Uh, but I want to read just a little bit of it to you. Second uh, Samuel 12, 9 begins this way. Why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing uh, what I consider evil? And the verse goes on. But notice he says, why have you despised the Lord's command? And then if we go down to verse 10, I think this is the end of the verse, what I'm going to read. Uh, the, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me. Nathan is bringing a word from God. And Nathan says to David, you have despised me. And you despised me when you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. What does it mean that David despised the Lord? Do you despise the Lord? Raise your hand if you despise. No. Do you despise the Lord? You would say no. And so would David. I'm I'm convinced David would have said, I don't despise the Lord. No, I'm a man after God's own heart. I do not despise the Lord. But David was wrong. And you and I may be wrong. See, to despise the Lord doesn't mean that you say, I hate God. To despise the Lord, listen closely to this, to despise the Lord means that you have faced an either-or decision, and you have chosen one thing and rejected the other thing. That's what it means to, to despise. Uh, the problem is that David saw the decision not as an either-or decision, but he saw it as a both-and decision. Uh, hang with me here. David thought, I love God and I love illicit sex with Bathsheba. I both love God and love the sin. But Nathan said, no, that wasn't, that wasn't the choice. 
The choice was either you love God and despise the sin or you love the sin and despise God. Now, here's why that's important, because we get the same thing mixed up. I get the same thing mixed up. We sin and we feel okay about it because we call it a both-and question. I love God and I like to watch racy movies on Netflix. I, I love God and I'm have an inappropriate relationship with somebody. I love God and I tell stories. I love God and I love God and. But Nathan says, no, it's not a both and. You don't both love God and love sin. He said, no, it's an either or. Either you love God and despise sin or you despise God and love sin. And he said to David, you have despised the Lord. Don't you know that that was, that was just a knife to David's belly when he realized he had despised the Lord. And you know, as I was preparing this message, um, you know, it's, um, you can't avoid the conclusion that very often I despise the Lord. I trick myself because I think it's a both and no, Nathan says, God says, it's an either or. We have despised the Lord. David despising the Lord led to this tragic collapse. Uh, I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And I want us to confess our sin in this prayer. And I want us to admit that there are times we despise the Lord. Father in heaven, I pray, I pray that you help me understand that so many of the things I've considered both and decisions, I love you, I both love you and I love sin, are really either or decisions, either I loves, love you and despise sin, or I love sin and despise you. Father, that's been a dagger in my belly this week. Forgive me for the times I have despised my Lord. Forgive me for the times I have despised Jesus and his sacrifice for me on the cross. Lord, forgive me for despising you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.